Hi, everybody. This is Dean Crisp, and welcome back to Straight Talk on Leadership. This week, I am so excited. We're going to have a guest podcast, and our guest podcast this week is going to be with Andrew Crisp, and he's going to be interviewing a former colleague of his and someone that he worked with as a deputy sheriff by the name of Brad James. Back in 2011, Brad was a victim of a shooting where Brad was actually shot in the face uh, on duty as a deputy sheriff. And Brad's going to walk you through that incident. And he and Drew are going to explore some of those details of that shooting. But what he's also going to do is talk about the coping mechanisms after the shooting. I think you're going to find it so interesting. And I think you're going to find one of this to be one of the most exciting podcasts, as well as one of the most informative. This is going to be a continual series as we try to talk about real life stories from the thin blue line. And this is going to be a segment of our podcast that we're going to be dropping these in occasionally where we actually get to interview people who have been involved in these real life instances and hope that they can help you and help folks that you know who may have been involved in these and even prepare some of your people for these critical incidents that they're involved in. So I'm excited to welcome Drew and Brad to our podcast. We hope you enjoy it. And as we always say, set back, Turn up the volume and get ready to change your life. Welcome to Straight Talk on Leadership. This is what we'd like to say is the no BS zone, where we give you leadership tips, ideas, and practical suggestions to help you become a top leadership performer. Our goal is simple, help you become the best version of yourself and reach your highest potential as a leader. So set back, turn up the volume, be ready to change your life. For the first time since being shot while pursuing a suspect, an upstate officer talks about his frightening ordeal and what it's like to be back on the job. News for Mandy Gaither tonight on this officer's road to recovery. Mandy, uh, is he fully healed? For the most part, Michael, he was shot in the lower back and the face near his eye, so the scars are still healing. But Deputy Brad James says it's good to be back. Looking back on the night, James told me he just is mad that he didn't catch that suspect. He hopes his story will serve as a reminder to other officers that a simple traffic stop can change into something else in a blink of an eye. So I come out to 101 Kimberly Drive. So there's a cement mailbox 
It has the nice brick coming up out of the bottom of it. So that's the best place for me to get behind. Now I get cover, get on the radio, tell them, hey, this is what's going on. I need backup. And I look up and see the address, and I actually tell them the address. Multiple times. Yeah, I get on the radio, and I tell them at least five times, I'm at 101 Kimberly Drive. And they keep asking, where are you at? I was literally three feet from the side of the road. And right. this is a – and when I say this road, it's a road so small I don't even have painted lines on it. And it's less than a quarter of a mile from one end to the other end of this road. And that's why I just kept saying, come to 101 Kimberly Drive. So because you can't miss me. Right. Let's, so I know you at the, at the very beginning, and I'm going to go all the way back to the very beginning of the stop. You had next tailed Tony. Did you ever think that Tony was behind you? Did you think that Tony was going to be there quick? What, what was your thoughts about your backup knowing that? Uh, did you tell him exactly where you were when you, when you next tailed him? Or did, did you say you better come? I told him what road we were headed up which is a common area that we chase cars over off of airport road and Carolina drive extension, all that area. That's, it's an Arkwright community. We would get in three to four car chases a week over there, which was nothing new. So he knew exactly where I was when I said the road I was going. So did he ever find your patrol car? So once I got shot, I'm going to back up a little bit to make this a little more together. So once I got shot and I got down behind the, mailbox mm -hmm. i didn't know where robert was so i tell him on the radio where i'm at keep telling him there everybody's coming and which is a which leads me to a problem in law enforcement a lot today when something happens everybody wants to talk on that channel of the one person that needs to be on that channel Absolutely. which it come into play we had supervisors talking on the channel and i'm out by myself i'm shot and they're talking on the same channel and i still don't know where the suspect is so let's be real here, and, and, and I'm going to ask you this question, and I just want you to be as real as possible. So when you're behind the mailbox, a normal person might think, I do have cover, but I don't necessarily know where he's at. Did you ever have an idea or maybe a thought that he would actually come back, knowing that he shot you twice before, and he actually tried to come at you before you shot him? Um, did you think he was going to come back and you were going to have to do it again? I didn't think I would see him again, but I actually did. So okay. he goes three houses down to his cousin's house on Kimberly Drive, gets in a Cadillac, drives past me, slows down in the middle of the road, looks at me laying on the side of the road. I get wow. on the radio and I tell him on the radio, I said, and if you listen to the full radio traffic, I come on the radio, I said, he just passed me on Kimberly Drive. He's in a Cadillac. He's going out toward Airport Road, but he don't have any lights on. I said, but y'all need to get over here because I'm hitting the head. So right. and that's at that when point, it... nobody still hadn't got there. Uh, and that's what I said earlier about the car rolling across the front yard would come into play. Mm -hmm. So when Tony gets there, he comes on the radio and he's like, where are you at? I'm at your patrol car. Where are you at? The patrol car had rolled 60, 70 yards across this front yard. So they're looking nowhere near where I'm at. So your patrol car, you, you'd act, did it come out of gear? Not my patrol car. The oh, the, car. oh my his car, car is still sitting in the road. His car. I got so you. they start looking from there thinking he ran from, he wrecked and took off running from where the car is at. Right. I got you. So it took them a while to find out where I was at because like I said, nobody was listening to me on the radio say I'm at 101 Kimberly Drive. So finally, Tony comes running across the field and 
it was one of those points where your adrenaline starts coming down because I seen him leave. So I'm not safe, but I know he's left and he's not coming back in that car after he took off in that car, knowing police is coming. So I sat there for a while waiting on somebody to get there. And then as the adrenaline starts coming down, you start losing energy. Mm -hmm. Well, I roll over and lay face down. I actually got down on my hands and knees and I was like, I'm just going to lay down for just a second, catch my breath. And then I'm going to get up. Well, I sat on my hands and knees for a second trying to catch my breath. So then I laid down and put my head on my hands laying down. Mm-hmm. Well, not even 20 seconds later, I hear Tony yelling my name. He's come running across the field. He sees me laying there. Well, so he's running towards me yelling my name and I hear him. So I start getting up and I set up, up to all fours. And I look up at him as he's running towards me and he gets maybe seven to eight feet away from him and he stops like he's seen a ghost. And that was at the first point that I realized how bad it really was mm-hmm. because of his reaction when he seen me. Mm. What it, do you remember what he said? He just stopped and stared. It was like, he didn't know what to do. He, we, we were extremely close. Like mm-hmm. I was at his kids football games. I was eating dinner at his house. I mean, we were extremely close as zone partners. Uh, so that was big for him because how close we were like brothers. Mm-hmm. So he stops and hesitates for two to three seconds. And then he comes running towards me and he later put in his report that he could see the gaping hole in the side of my head and steam coming out of it. Cause it's cold mm-hmm. and he could see the steam coming out of the side of my head. Mm-hmm. So when he gets there, it's like a renewed sense of energy, man. It's like, okay, I got somebody here and ultimately still in the back of your head. You're like, okay, let's go. We let's go get this guy. Uh, and so I argue with him. He's calling the ambulance. Like, just leave me alone. Let me get up. Right. I'm fine. And obviously, he's trying to make me lay down because he sees how bad it is. Did you so, did you did you realize the second wound, or were you just kind of focused on the first one? I didn't know the second wound yet. I still didn't know that I had a second wound. Well, when he made me sit back down, that's when I figured it out. You had to sit on your butt. I sit on my butt, and I was like, yeah. "Oh, hold on now." And Ooh. I reached back there, and there was blood. I said. Well, I guess I get hit there too. And did that leave a, a and and just going back, you got he used the uh, four ten shotgun rounds, and I'm assuming there was holes. Um, did it ever happen that your face was charred, the black charring? Yes. Uh, luckily for me, I say luckily just because I want to know as much about the incident as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know as well as I do at the county, they have ID units. Mm-hmm. So that's their only job is to go around and take fingerprints and photographs of crime scenes. Well, luckily for me, they got there before I was transported by EMS. So they took pictures of me on the ground while EMS was en route. So mm-hmm. I have the photos and my face is as black as you can imagine because it was so close. It was point blank range when I got shot. And, and we'll hopefully get some of those photos and maybe put them up on the website for all the uh, listeners to see. All right, so take us to the ambulance. Obviously, you, you know your shot now. Tony's there. Um, you finally have a familiar face. Um, that's comforting to see. Adrenaline dump. You're finally losing some energy. You're realizing this is probably a little bit worse than I thought. What, how, how long? And I think this is a, an inter- interesting topic because, like you said, it, it, takes, it took a little bit for someone to get to you, um, but not only help, from the law enforcement side, it took a little bit for the ambulance to get there. And can you, can you kind of uh, explain on why that happened? Yeah. So 
we was less than five minutes from Spartanburg Regional, which is the biggest hospital around our area. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem was when something like that goes off on the radio, everybody knows that cops are coming from everywhere. Every town unit in Spartanburg County, Highway Patrol, all of Spartanburg County, everybody is coming to this area. Well, as small as I told you that road was, it don't even have painted lines. Mm-hmm. Everybody, you know as well as I do, they come flying in, parking side by side, any way they can get as close as possible. Right. Well, the problem with that is they blocked the entire road and the ambulance couldn't get to them. Okay, so how, do, how does it finally get to you? Do people move cars or do you do uh, you go to them? My supervisor, Shannon Osterhout, starts yelling on the radio, y'all have got to get the cars out of the way so the ambulance can actually get to him. Okay. Because Tony had originally called for the helicopter to come pick me up. Why did he do that? Because it was such a bad head wound. Okay. And, uh, and so, so I'm assuming he, he saw you and then saw how bad it was and then got on the radio and called for the... the he went ahead and told him to put it on standby. Mm-hmm. So that they would start loading up and getting everything ready. Uh, he ended up canceling the helicopter, which I give him a hard time about. One time I was going to get the ride in a helicopter, you call and cancel it. So. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm just thinking about it as, as far as a zone, uh, an officer in another zone, when you hear, you know, that you need to get the medevac on, on standby. I mean, that's in my mind, I'm thinking this is bad, man. I mean, uh, regular victims don't just ride in helicopters. Those are only reserved for the very critical that need to get there fast. And to be honest with you, it took from the time the ambulance actually got to the scene, they couldn't get to me, but from the time they got to the scene for me to get to the hospital, which was five minutes away, it was 30 plus minutes because it took them that long to be able to get me to the ambulance. Mm. So, okay. So you get in the ambulance and I think this is really an awesome thing. Um, cause I, I, you've obviously talked to me about this in the past, but you get in the ambulance and you, and like you said, you're very close to your zone partner. He's like a brother, uh, family. What was the interaction between you and Tony when, when you actually got to the ambulance? What, what was that like? When the ambulance actually got there and it was another one of the things where you want somebody that's close to you. So I asked the ambulance drivers, I was like, y'all have got to let him ride in the back of the ambulance. Mm-hmm. He's coming with me. Otherwise, y'all ain't transporting. Right. But and what, I got to have somebody with me. Right. Was, comfortable that, was with. that kind of a familiar face thing for you? Give yeah. you comfort? And he was keeping me calm down, to be honest with you. Right. Because at that point, I mean, I was just ill. I didn't catch the guy. Because like I, later on, I'll tell you, first time I seen the sheriff after it happened, he walks into the ER, sees me in trauma bay. He said, you okay? And I apologized. Right. I said, why are you apologizing, man? I said, well, I didn't catch him. And that's, that's just, and that's just you, man. I mean, you, you're very, very, I, I don't know if I should say competitive, but you are very competitive as far as, as far as doing your job and doing it to the, to the fullest. And the fullest to you is making that arrest. It's not just stopping a car and they run and you do a report. That's not full for you. You feel incomplete. Um, you feel like the neighborhood is not any safer than it was when you started to pull the car over. So I can understand that uh, fully. So you're married when that happens. Yes. You, and, and she was also a police officer at the Spartanburg city. Yes. What was the expand on that? I mean, that's gotta be devastating. How did she find out? Did you call her? Did you know, <laughs> go so into that? When Shannon, my Lieutenant gets there, I'm still laying on the ground. This is way before the ambulance gets there. And I tell Shannon, I said, Hey, you got to call two people. You got to call Travis Barnett 
mm-hmm. who's my cousin at the time. He works at the sheriff's office. I said, you got to call him and you got to call my wife before I get an ambulance. I said, because I want somebody to call to tell this person that I was shot, that you can sit here beside me and say, I'm talking to him. He's alert. He's talking rather than somebody. Hey, I was listening to the radio and Brad just said he got shot. I don't know what's going on, but he said he shot. Cause you know, that was going to happen and ended up. I talked to one of the investigators later on that got called in to work the case. He found out through Facebook before he was called by the department that I was shot. That quick. And speaking on quick, my phone had voicemails on it from informants before I made it to the hospital. From the streets. Check on me because they knew I got shot. And, And you think that was from the streets or that was from Facebook? I don't know. I'm saying streets. Mm hmm. But they were calling my phone before I made it to the hospital to check. Well, I mean, it's, you know, you can look at it both ways, I guess. You can look at it as a, as a good thing. People care about you. Um, but you can also look at it as loose lips sink ships. I mean, you don't want that business going out, especially to your wife before she even knows, before she even hears your voice, she sees that you've been shot. I mean, that's tough and difficult to probably deal with because she doesn't have a clue. So You're you right. get to the hospital. Um, Obviously, probably in a trauma bay. Yeah. And then what happens? A little bit before that, believe it or not, we get to the hospital, we pull in the ambulance, doors pop open, and one of my close friends is now working at the hospital as security, and he's the first one to pop the door open, and he went through the police academy with him. Really? And he had no idea who it was. They had just right. told him that the officers come in and shot. And it's another one of those, I didn't know how bad it was, but the way I was figuring it out was I was gauging everybody's response when they seen me. It's one of the things you can't turn it off. Watching people's behavior. I would watch them as how they reacted to when they seen me to know how bad it was. Yeah, like you're strolling into the uh, uh to the hospital going to the going to the trauma bay and you got nurses looking at you sideways. It's it's uh probably time to grab a mirror and look for yourself. But when was the first time you could you really saw it? Uh I didn't see it until the next day after I'd been in the hospital all night and then did surgery. And all I seen then was goals. So the right. first time I seen the actual injuries was probably three or four days after it happened. And that was from ID, uh, I assume? No, I didn't see those pictures until later on. I got my cousin to take a picture of it when I was in the hospital so I could see what it looked like. Oh, okay. So uh, I know you, and I know your, the struggles that you've had with the injury. I know you've had several surgeries. Um, What's the di- what was the diagnosis of, of the injury, uh, both injuries, and how, have you, how many surgeries have you had? How many, do, you, do you remember how many surgeries you've had? I, I know it's been a lot. So as far as the eye, I have a complete metal plate that starts at the top of my eyebrow, runs around the side, and it goes down the side of my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm completely blind in my right eye. So is, it your, is it your original eye? It's my real eye. Nothing actually penetrated the eye, but the doctor said that it was so close that the vibration off the gun, the concussion coming off of it because it was so close, mm-hmm. it just destroyed my optical nerve. So there's nothing they can do to fix it. Uh, as far as the other one, there was about a three and a half inch hole, about a quarter size in my ass cheek, which I just got a nice little scar there now. So Did they but, fill it in or did they just close it? No, I wore what they called a wound back and it helps it grow. And I oh, had one of those on for about three weeks and you. it completely healed itself up as far as, so I never had any skin grafts or anything like that, but all total I've had eight surgeries. Hmm. Uh, I have one more that I'll have to have eventually. It's just a matter of time. And what is I, that? 
uh, for a detached retina. The eye doctor said that it's partially detached, that he wants to let it get a little bit further along before he goes in and fully does surgery to reattach it. He said it's just waiting on when that will come around. Crazy, crazy story. I've heard it. Every time I hear it, it's even, it, it, it's the same feeling of, of, I just, it's just unbelievable. Um, let's go in. I know we don't like to talk about uh, Mr. Odell, but um, tell us what happened. He drives by you. You find, did you find out what happened to him? I mean, was he shot? What happened? So he goes to his girlfriend's house. Why is that his girlfriend's house? She tries to help him put towels on it, things like that, just trying to – because I ended up hitting him five times in the chest. From I fired nine rounds at him while he was running past me. I hit him five times in the chest. He never slows down. It's, like, it's not what you see in the movies. They don't just drop. Yeah. Uh, so he gets hit five times, goes to his girlfriend's house, tells her what happened. She says, okay, come on, loads him up in her car, takes him to his cousin's house, and they get in his car and start driving towards Virginia. Uh, Did anybody bandage him up? I mean, he's got to be bleeding. So on the way, they stop at a convenience store and buy tampons and put tampons in the bullet holes to try <laughs> to help with the bleeding. And the only reason I know this is because ended up when they caught him, he still had the tampons in the holes. So, 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 so he's driving, he makes his way. I don't, God only knows how he made his way out of Spartanburg County with the, with the cars that were coming to you. Um, but he eventually makes it out. And where does he go to? They get on the interstate with his cousin and his girlfriend in the car. Uh, he's in the back seat. They're going up through there. Well, it's about this time that the investigators are getting to me at the hospital and talking to me before I go into surgery. So he's asking me what's going on. He said, do you know who it is? I said, all I can tell you is he's six four, six five because we were eye to eye looking over the fence, blackmail, three to four inch dreads, white t-shirt, blue jeans. Uh, that's all I can tell you. I said, I know when y'all find him, he will be somehow related back to Highland, the community, because I've tried to stop that car and somebody bailed out in Highland. Did you know at the time that you had actually hit him or did you just I did suspect not. that you hit him? I didn't even know. I told him on the radio, I said, I fire rounds at him, but I don't know if I hit him or not. Okay. Because, right. like I said, he didn't change his behavior at all. He just kept running. Okay. All right. So the investigators come, and you give them some information, and uh, what's he doing? So they check the car and run the tag, and it comes back to his girlfriend, the car that he was in originally. Mm -hmm. uh, so they find her number in the system. And they, Sled calls her on the phone. Sled called in, obviously, about this time because this officer involved shooting. So Sled calls her in on her cell phone, and they said, hey, do you know where your car is at? She said, no, I don't know where my car is at. So they pinged her phone. They said, where are you at right now? She said, well, I'm in Columbia. Well, her cell phone pings in Charlotte. Mm -hmm. They're like, okay, that's obviously you're lying to us. So they keep pinging her phone, and it's steadily going north up 85. Well, they don't know what kind of car she's in, but they obviously want to get in touch with her because they think he's with her. So they keep pinging the phone, and two of the investigators from Spartanburg County said, y'all keep working. We're going to jump on 85 and start riding, hit north. And so they're flying up, have no idea what they're looking for. They just right. keep pinging the phone, and they're running. So are they on the phone with other detectives figuring out where it's pinging? Yes. So the de there's two detectives in the car. One of them is on the phone with a sled agent. And the other one is trying to talk to her to figure out what's going on back and forth. Uh, so 
they get all the way to Virginia and they still ping in the phone and they're closing the gap because we end up finding out later on that they pulled over five times between here and Virginia. The girlfriend said, I kept trying to pull over and go to a hospital to get him checked out because he had these bullet holes, but he wouldn't, he refused to get out of the car. Right. She said, so I'd get back on the interstate and keep driving. Uh, they had no idea where they were going. They just got on 85 and started going north. So they keep pinging the phone and they get into Virginia and the investigators here with SLED tell our investigators, it's like, look, it's pinging at a gas station a couple hundred feet from where y'all are at. Wow. So they've just closed that gap all the way down to this. So they're riding through that gas station. They see a South Carolina tag. They said, we'll run this tag for us. Well, it oh. comes back to her. Yep. So they call 911 up there, tell them, hey, this is car. We think it's got a guy in it that shot our officer back in Spartanburg. We need y'all to come out here and stop this car. City department says, that's in the county. You need to call the county. Call the county. County said, no, that's in the city. You need to call the right. city. So our investigator tells dispatch, look, no offense. Either y'all come out here, send somebody out here to get this guy, or y'all going to have a mess on your hands because one way or another, this guy is going back to Spartanburg. So they send the state police out there, which covers everything. Was it so, a trooper? Yes. Okay. So they send him out there. They get there. And they sit on the side of the road because I've watched the in-car body camera and everything from up there when they caught the guy. So they sit on the side of the road and it's a red Impala comes past them. They pull out, do a felony traffic stop on his car and it kind of pulls up on a little bit of a hill. Uh, car pulls over. They do a felony traffic stop call out. His girlfriend gets out of the driver's seat. They take her into custody. They call out to the car again. His little cousin gets out. They bring him back to the hood of the car and they're putting him in handcuffs and you can see the brake lights flicker on the car that they have pulled over. And they ask her, they said, is he in the car? She said, yeah, he's in the back seat. They call out to the car again. He jumps from the back seat into the front seat and takes off in the car. Wow. So they have another police chase there. Uh, it's about seven Oh five in the morning now up in Virginia. Mm -hmm. uh, their chief comes on the radio and is like, look, we got kids going to school. Y'all need to go ahead and end this. Yes. So they pull up beside him to pit him, and he starts ramming their patrol car with his car that he's driving now, this Impala. Mm -hmm. uh, they pit him off into a ditch. Uh, he shoots at them. So he's they shooting shoot. again. Yeah. So wow. he starts shooting at them. They shoot into the car through the windshield uh, where he's now the driver. Mm -hmm. Two rounds hit the steering wheel and ricochet and go around him. Wow. So he don't get hit again. And the only reason I ended up knowing that I had hit him five times was when they called her out of the car before all this broke loose as far as their chase. They asked her, was he in the car? She said, yes. They said, is he shot? She said, yes, he shot five times and this is where he's hit. So they knew beforehand that he was hit five times and this is where he's been shot. He must be the luckiest person in the world to survive. Not yes. only yours, but Virginia State Patrol shooting at him. So then they end up having a standoff up there for about 30 minutes. He won't come out of the car. Uh, so they pump gas into the car, fire shotgun rounds in it with gas into mm -hmm. the car. He rolls out of the car. They take him into custody. He fights them, mm. lies about who he is. And so they finally get him into custody up in Virginia. Uh, did they get the weapon that he used against you? Yes. Not the one he used against me, but it was a different weapon. Oh, okay. So he has another weapon. Did they ever find the gun that he used against you? No, we never knew. And the only reason 
we were able to put it together through the girlfriend later on through investigation. They was able to put it together as to far as what he was shooting. Right. Uh, they knew it had to be something other than a bullet. I mean, with yes. the charring and the, I got you. Crazy, crazy, crazy story. Every time you, like I said, every time you say it, man, it just gives me chills that what courage it took for you to do all that, man. It's, it's, uh, I'm blessed to be your friend for sure. Um, I want to go into the challenges that you faced. Um, cause I know it's been a lot, but what were the biggest challenges, um, that you faced after the fact? So I, I knew obviously there was going to be challenges because I was blind in my right eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for the next two weeks, I'm going back and forth with the eye doctor cause I had a plastic surgeon and then I had an eye doctor. So I was going back and forth to appointments every two to three days. I was in a doctor's office wow. having surgeries and everything. So I flat out asked the eye doctor, I was like, look, what's the deal? Am I going back to work or not? He said, well, I'm going to try one more surgery. And if it don't work and you don't get your vision back, you can go back to work, but only have one eye. Cool. I'm in. Right. Never a point in time that I'm not going back to work. So never, never a point in time. Did you think maybe I should probably sit on the sidelines? This is a little too, too, too close to home. Or was it I'm itching to get back out there? No, it was from the time I was riding in the ambulance. I was telling Tony, I said, I'll be back. I'm not, right. I'm not stopping this because interesting story. Um, doesn't, well, I guess it does relate to this, but, uh, it took you a while. I remember being on the road when you did come back, but, uh, when you did come back, it was fireworks. Cause the first night that you got there, I think it was like seven twenty PM. We had just signed on and you chased a car again. So yeah, it was never a fact of I'm not coming back. It's, I guess it goes back to my whole mindset of, you know, going into law enforcement, there's a chance that you're not coming home. I mean, you may go to work one day and then not you not come home at night, but you know that going into that job. So I'm not going to go to this job. And now what I knew was a possibility could happen, happen and say, you know what? Now I changed my mind. I'm not going to do it. That wasn't an option. That's just so, where this, this, this podcast is based off straight talk on leadership. So I want to kind of get into the leadership part of it. What in your mind, because I know you've been through a lot how have you changed in a good way or in a positive way from, from that night to now in the position that you, that you are, have you, have you um, taken a step back and looked at it and learned things from it? Have you become a better person from it? Uh, What are some of the, the positive things that's come from such a negative uh, incident? I would say it's changed me, but it really hadn't as far as my mindset going to work. Mm -hmm. I still want to work for 12 hours when I go to work. Uh, I guess it opened my eyes. It made me understand that like a normal officer comes into work every day and they hope it don't happen. Mm. You hope you don't get shot that day. You hope you don't get injured and stuff like that. For me, I come to work knowing that it's going to happen again and I will be prepared and I will go home again. Right. So it kind of made you, uh, like bite your teeth down and say, you know what? I, I was complacent that night, but I won't be complacent again. Kind of one of those things. And it's been one of those things where it's before I like to work alone. Nothing other than the fact that I just, I just like to go out there and work alone. If I need backup, I'll call backup. I'm not one of those that I don't need backup. It's just, I prefer to, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to ride around and 
when it hits the fan, you'll know it and you can come back me up or whatever. But right. it's opened my eyes up more to trying to help newer officers and teach them what to do and what not to do because I've seen it. I've been through it. I mean, I can explain to you from firsthand experience. Right. So if you, if you can take away one, one key thing, Brad, if you could take away one thing from that day and tell a, a, a rookie officer that's coming in through um, FTO, what would you tell him? No matter what happens to you, whether you shot in the head, whether you shot in the chest, if you're still breathing, you're still living. Fight. Fight. Don't give up. Don't take. And I think one of the biggest things and, uh, that I noticed in you um, after, from after the shooting was you really didn't take things for granted. You know, you, you, you talk more to people. Um, you communicated with people a little bit more than you usually did. Cause you kind of, like you said, you stayed to yourself. You enjoyed staying to yourself. It's not that you wouldn't talk to people, but, um, you really just wanted to come to work and do, do your work. You didn't want to chit chat around, but after that, it kind of, I feel like you, you understood how life is very short and you wanted to have relationships with people a little bit more. And that's commendable. And I think that's from me looking at it, I think that's what I noticed from you. I don't know how you felt, but um, I did notice that. And it was, it was really good to see. And like I said, man, you, you know, I can't say I've been shot. I don't think a lot of people in Spartanburg County can say they've been shot um, and live from it. So um, you have a story to tell. We're just blessed to have you on here and, and be able to uh, express that living, breathing. Um, we, we wanted to learn from it. So anything else that you really want to say about that, you go ahead. I'm going to give you the platform. May it be to future law enforcement, may it be to law enforcement now. Um, whatever you want to say, I'm going to leave it up to you. I will say I know people talk about all the time about working out, but make sure you're physically fit to do the job, man. I mean, you don't have to go to the gym seven days a week and eat a perfect meal, but when it hits the fan, you're going to have to have some form of physical ability to protect yourself, to go home to your family, to your kids, to your loved ones, man. I mean, mm-hmm. you're the only one. A lot of times you by yourself. I mean, you can't rely on nobody else to make sure you get home that night but yourself. Right. So you have to make sure that you're prepared physically as well as mentally. And I'll be honest with you. One of the things I think that helped me the most was always in my career. I've run scenarios through my head. So like it was, I'll lay down and go to bed at night thinking, okay, I just got shot. This is what's going on. What am I going to do? Like I've run scenarios even to this day and I'm a school resource officer. Now I still run scenarios through my head. It just, it mentally prepares you. So, like when it happened, it was never a thought of what am I supposed to do? You had gone through it so many times in your head. It might not have been the perfect scenario. You, you might not have thought you were on Carolina Drive Extension at Kimberly, but you saw and envisioned that this could happen. So, Brad, uh, you've enjoyed it. Um, what, a, what a phenomenal story that you have. You're very blessed to be able to tell that story. Anytime you want to come back on here and, and, and talk about things that you've learned or um, things you're doing now, we'd love to have you. If you want to plug any of your social media, uh, please do so for people to get in contact with you because there might be somebody out there that um, wants to learn from you. 
And, uh, and honestly, that that's the thing we hear. We we want people to learn from stuff that's happened. I'll say this. Uh, I'll give you all my information, social media, phone number, whatever, email, whatever you need. Uh, anybody that ever needs to talk or anything like that, I'll talk. There's a lot of mental stuff that goes behind it. Mm. And so if anybody ever needs to talk, let me know. Oh, the PCIS thing. I feel like a lot of times a department tries to help, mm-hmm. but like for mine, my incident happened in November and they forced me to go what they call PCIS post critical incident seminar. And okay. they made me go in January of that next year. So we're what three months later and I'm in yeah. there and I wasn't ready to talk to anybody. Right. So like I go in there and the way it's set up is you go in this big room and you'll have, 30 other officers that have been through an incident and you all sit around this big, huge room in front of tables and they pass a microphone around the room, tell how it made you feel and all this. Some people that's awesome. That's great. That's how they get their stuff out. Right. I'm not one of those people, you know, as well as I do, yeah. I don't open up and talk to people like that. Mm-hmm. I'm not a, a crowd type person. Mm-hmm. I don't like acknowledgement. Like I've right. said ever since this happened that I don't want to get awards for this because I feel like it's something I did wrong. Like I screwed up that night. I didn't feel like that was the right time. Uh, I thought it was too soon, but that was just me. And by all means, if somebody feels like that can help them, I've been back twice and it, it wasn't for me. Where was PCIS at? In Columbia. It's called post-critical incident seminar. And that was from everybody just in state or was it from everywhere? It was from all over the United States. They flew in. One of the things I'm big on and it's crazy in law enforcement, how, People always say, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. If you feel mm-hmm. some type of way, talk to somebody. But the biggest stipulation in law enforcement is, the, and what keeps people from ever open up, and because like, it was it's probably eight, nine years before I opened up to my wife now, and she just let me talk myself. So like, and it was more of a comfort because I wasn't worried about losing my job. Yeah. Because the way law enforcement is, the mentality is if you show any kind of weakness, that's your job. If you right. show any kind of mental problems or having any kind of difficulty with something, oh, you're not fit for duty. So the officers carry that burden because they don't want to open up to anybody because that's their livelihood. A lot of officers is that's their identity. That's what they are. I'm a cop. That's my job. It's not a normal career where nothing against like accountant you go to work you come home you don't deal with your job until you come back to work the next day right. a cop is a cop 24 hours a day seven days a week whether you with your family or whether you at work you can't turn that off brad it's been awesome to have you on the show um every all the listeners out there we are going to put uh, brad's information into the show notes uh, we'll also show you the pictures from the incident as well as the end dash camera and the dispatch audio Um, All those will be available for you to listen to, um, to look at. If you want to reach out to Brad, like I said, we're going to put uh, his information into the show notes. By all means, he is available. Please reach out to him if you have questions, if you have concerns, if you're thinking about anything. If you've been in a shooting and you don't know who to talk to, give him a ring. We'll give you all of his information to get a hold of. And Brad, I just want to thank you so much for coming on. It's always good to see you, brother. Until next time. I'm Andrew Chris. We'll see you later on Straight Talk on Leadership. The suspect was caught the following day in Virginia by the Virginia State Patrol. He was extradited back to South Carolina, where he was charged and stood trial 
was convicted and sentenced to 45 years in jail. You've been listening to the Straight Talk on Leadership with Dean Crisp. Be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and iTunes or Spotify so that you do not miss a future episode. Also, please visit our website at www.lhln.org, where you can view the show notes, links by our guests, and where you can learn more about the Leaders Helping Leaders Network and our upcoming classes. We here at LHLN would also like to thank our affiliate sponsors, Camelback, Strapworks, and Secure It Gunsafe. Please visit their links and our website to view their great deals. Until next time, leadership rocks.